Oh, Easter. What a, what a fantastic day. But what we now know as a wonderful day wasn't exactly seen that way on its original dawning. The followers of Jesus were in hiding. Their teacher, their master was dead. They had just watched it all happen with their own eyes. They knew the tomb where his body was buried. It was over. The dream had come to an end and they were distraught. They were scared. They felt betrayed. This isn't how this was supposed to happen. This isn't the way that things were supposed to go down. And while the men worried and bemoaned their situation, some of the women went ahead with the practical preparations that needed to get done. They knew the rites that needed to be performed over the dead. They knew the logical, unhappy steps that needed to be taken. And so Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, braced themselves for what needed to be done Sunday morning. Our text this morning is from Luke chapter 24. We'll be looking at verses 1 to 12. Uh, there is a pew Bible in front of you if you'd like to go that way. If you brought your own Bible, great. And if you don't have any of those options but would still like to follow along, the words are going to be on the screen. And so I encourage you to follow along there. We read the word of the Lord this morning, Luke 24, 1 to 12. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words, and returning from the, the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them, who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, and he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Let's end the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. There are many stories of people facing an incredible difficulty, a dark and hard time, History buffs might immediately think of stories like the one portrayed in Darkest Hour, a 2017 movie about Winston Churchill, and the stand that Britain took against Hitler in the Third Reich. Things looked pretty grim. It wasn't going well for Churchill politically or militarily, and so he, and by extension, the free world, faced an incredibly dark hour. As a fan of the fantasy genre, when I think of people facing incredibly difficult times, I immediately think of the Battle of Helm's Deep from Lord of the Rings. The heroes of Middle-earth stuck behind the high walls of Helm's Deep, surrounded by a multitude of the enemy. Would they make it through the night? Would the walls hold? Should they abandon hope? How can they possibly defeat such a foe as is laid out before them? Maybe history and fantasy aren't our thing, and that's fine. 
All of us have heard of what is going on across the world in Ukraine right now. I remember back in February, lying in bed, trying to go to sleep, but just as I had been getting ready to nod off, I received notifications telling me that Russia had invaded. As I laid in my bed, wondering what the lingering implications of these aggressive actions would be, does this mean World War III? Will Russia sit on their nukes, or are we possibly looking at nuclear holocaust? What's going on in the world I can only imagine what it was like for the actual citizens of Ukraine. The night before, they had gone out for dinner. Maybe they'd gone dancing or been to the movies. Life had been normal. They were doing the regular things, and then suddenly everything changed, and now nothing was the same. And they know it won't ever truly be the same again. And we don't know yet how that story ends. It's hard. And yet even as we wrestle with these realities, we know that we don't have to look to the past or to fiction or across an ocean to find people facing a dark hour. Though in light light of the atrocities of war, our struggles may seem pretty insignificant, that doesn't mean that they don't still affect us. Our struggle may not be against foreign invaders, but that doesn't mean that our safety and our way of life aren't threatened. Maybe it's the IRS. Maybe it's the new supervisor that seems to have it out for you. Maybe it's the rising inflation. Maybe the stress and pressure at work is becoming more than you can handle. Maybe your spouse, your significant other, seems to be changing. Or or maybe you're the one that's changing, and you just don't know if you two can hold it together anymore. Maybe you thought you kicked your addiction, but there's a deep part of you that longs to answer your cravings. Maybe guilt and shame from past decisions have been pounding at the walls of the compartment that you've, you've put them in, but those walls are starting to crack and you don't know how you'll deal with those emotions again. Maybe you feel alone. Maybe you feel forgotten. Maybe you feel unloved. Maybe you feel betrayed. Maybe you're the betrayer. So often it feels like we just can't get ahead. Life is so incredibly talented at dragging us into crisis moments. And sometimes we have been dragged into those moments. Sometimes they have been thrust upon us against our wishes. We didn't choose to get sick. We didn't cause the economy to collapse. We didn't make that deer run out in front of our car. We didn't have any power against the flood that destroyed our home. Some crises are thrust upon us. Sometimes we have no control over our own personal darkest hours. And sometimes, sometimes we've walked willingly and intentionally through the door. We may not have realized where our choices would lead us. Mistakes made innocently enough can lead to lifelong struggles and hardships. Sometimes we know exactly where our choices will lead us and we make them anyway. And as we wander the road of our passions and desires, we set the stage for our own darkest hours. Life isn't easy. It it feels like there's always something hard going on. There is always some temptation to resist, some sin to avoid. And what can make it worse is that often those sins, those temptations, look really good. They are really desirable. 
And so we let ourselves go a little. We, we loosen our boundaries. We give in to that which we know we're not supposed to. We, we take that money on the counter that we know doesn't belong to us. We visit that website and then delete the history hoping that no one will notice. We tell a lie or three to help others see us the way that, that we want to be seen and not maybe how we truly are. We spread a little gossip, who cares if it's true or not, in order to manipulate people and circumstances so that they reflect a little more favorably upon us. These are just a few examples of how our sin tempts us, pushes our buttons in the way that it alone knows how, and then in our failing, paints us into a corner. It's going to be different for everyone, but we know where we struggle. We know what we've done. We know how we've failed to be perfect, failed to please our parents, our spouse, our children, our friends. We know how we failed to please God, failed to keep his laws, and failed to fulfill his desires for our lives perfectly. We know. And with that knowledge comes the shame. With that knowledge comes the guilt and the doubt. We know that we have messed up, that we seem to continually be tripping over our own bad intentions. Even as we try to follow God's commands, try to do what he has called us to do. And when we sit in that shame and that guilt, we create our own darkest hour. We ask ourselves, how can I get out of this mess? We feel trapped and surrounded. Will I ever be free of the darkness. When we are in those dark times, to what do we turn? When can we so fully relate, or when we can so fully relate to the psalmist David as he writes in Psalm 51.3, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. And, and we feel that. And we see that. And with it, we have our shame hanging over us. Where do we go for help? Where do we turn for relief? Some will argue that there are many ways of dealing with our failings. We can drown them with a bottle or with an opiate of choice. We can focus on the failings of others to make ourselves feel a little better. We can focus on distractions that we like or that we're good at, like going to the movies, watching sports and hobbies, like painting, writing in a journal, or composing music. And some of these may help for a time. But there is no distraction powerful enough to address the true, the deep, the real issues, the reasons for our shame. Distractions may cover it up. They may bury it for a time. But none of them address the true reasons for our darkness. As we sit in the reality of our struggles, let us look to the disciples in our text this morning. How did the followers of Jesus deal with their darkest hour? Darkest Hour probably barely scratches the surface of how Jesus' followers are feeling in the beginning of our text. And unlike Great Britain, Ukraine, and the heroes behind the walls at Helm's Deep, they didn't have a charismatic leader to rally and encourage them with fine, well-spoken words. Their leader was dead. They had seen him betrayed. They had seen him humiliated. They had seen him crucified. They knew him to be buried, and he had taken their hope with him to the grave. All that was left was to go into hiding. Who knew when those that had come for their teacher would, would come for them? How would they escape? How would they live? Could they show their faces at home anymore? Did they have a home anymore? 
There was, of course, the need to perform the last rites on the body, but with that came a finality that they, they struggled to embrace. Maybe if they ignored it, it would all just go away. Maybe this was all just a bad dream, and yet last rites needed to be conducted, and so a few of the women bravely made their way to the tomb of their beloved teacher. Our text this morning begins by telling of Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, bringing spices that had been prepared for Jesus' body. And as they approach the tomb, they see that the stone is rolled away. This is pretty shocking in and of itself, for the stone is massive and not easily moved. When they enter the tomb, they do not find the body of Jesus. Instead, two angels appear to them. The women are totally and understandably freaked out. And then the angels speak my second favorite line in this text. Why do you seek the living among the dead? How profound is that? The Marys and Joanna are only doing what is natural. They are only following what is expected. They, they know what happens when a person dies, and they know what needs to be done to the body to treat it respectfully, to keep it from stinking, to, to help it in its decay. They are simply going about doing what is always done, what is normally done, what society has dictated that they do in these circumstances. Why do you seek the living among the dead? You are in your darkest hour, an incredibly trying time. What do you do? You do what you've always done, what you know to do. You respond in the ways that you've been conditioned, trained, discipled to respond. You do what society would have you do, what logic maybe would have you do. You're looking for help and distraction. You're looking for help in your drug of choice. You're looking for help by numbing your senses to the pain. You're looking for help by trying to forget about the pain, by burying your feelings or maybe eating them. You, you're looking for help by confiding in a friend or expressing yourself in art, going to counseling, taking a vacation. Maybe you've shoved it into the same compartment and you've shoved all the other feelings that you don't know how to process. And again, while some coping mechanisms can be healthy, None of them are going to fix the root problem. We don't find peace in distraction. It can help for a while, it can, but it doesn't fix the issue, the deep issues, so we respond in these understandable, natural, and yet very human ways. Or when we respond in these ways, we are looking for the living amongst the dead. We are looking for peace where peace will not be found. We're looking for peace in all the wrong places. Our text this morning gives us an alternative to the flawed practice of seeking distraction. It gives us some advice for when we slip and fall and fail and begin the spiral into darkness. And that answer is this, remembrance. Why do you seek the living among the dead, the angel asked, and then continued, he is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Remember. Remember how he told you while he was still alive and ministering in and around Galilee that the Son of Man, that he, Jesus, would be delivered into the hands of sinful men and that he would be crucified and on the third day he would rise. Remember that. Do you remember that? Now, I'm sure when Jesus was telling all of them this back in Galilee, they had no idea the significance of what he was saying. 
Jesus said so many things during his ministry that didn't necessarily make sense to the disciples at the time he said them. We see this all over the book of John where we read how something happens and then the disciples remember back to it at a different time and go, oh, that's, that's what he meant when he said that thing that, that one time. Jesus said a bunch of stuff that just sounds crazy, especially when you didn't have any context to go with it, when you didn't have the future knowledge to look back with. And chief among these crazy things that Jesus said is that he would be crucified and that he would rise on the third day, that he would come back from the dead. Our text this morning tells us that the women remembered. They remembered the words of their teacher, their master, their Lord, and they returned with the great news to the disciples. Remembrance. Today is a day of remembrance. We may celebrate Easter in many different fashions. There are egg hunts and candy. We dress up and, and come to church. Maybe we get together with family and enjoy a special meal. But all of that is just the trappings of remembrance. For on this day, we remember what Jesus did for us, what we needed him to do for us because we couldn't do it ourselves. During this season of Lent, we have been walking through the Gospel of John, looking at who Jesus is, but even more so, seeing ourselves in the way that he sees us. As we've been exploring what it means to live the gospel, we've been continually engaged or encouraged in what the gospel means for each of us. For in the gospel, we see the call to repentance that God is continually sending to all people. In the gospel, we are reminded to remember how God is constantly calling his people and all people back into relationship with him. And we've been continually encouraged to remember how he has a plan for our salvation, a plan for reconciliation. This week, we have spent time remembering how that plan was put into action. We have remembered how Jesus was betrayed we have remembered the rigged jury in the sentence of death. We have remembered the beatings and the lashings. We have remembered how he was forced to carry a heavy wooden cross, the instrument of his death, up the hill to Golgotha, the place of the skull, to Calvary. And there he was nailed to the cross, and the Son of God allowed himself to be held there. And we have remembered that he had the power and the ability to remove himself from that cursed tree and to smite any and all who had put him there, but we have also remembered that we are the ones who have put him there. It was our sin. Because of our sin, the sin, the, the sin that separated us from God, the sin that had to be atoned for, that had to be paid for, the sin that all of us have, this sin is why he had to die. For he was the only acceptable sacrifice, and it was his love that kept him on that tree, his love for you and for me. And we have remembered that he was forsaken by God, that on account of our sin, God turned his face from his son, whom he loved. On account of our sin, he died. And if that were the end of the story, there would be no reason for celebration. There would be no reason for eggs or candy or special meals. We wouldn't be in church today. There wouldn't be churches. For if things stayed where we left them on Friday, with Jesus dead and in the grave, then the Christian faith would not exist. As Tim Keller once wrote, the issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teachings, but whether or not he rose from the dead. Everything revolves around today. What a day, a day to cherish, a day to joyce, a day to praise and sing, a day 
to remember. A day to remember that our God is alive. For as the angel said in my favorite line from our text this morning, he is not here. He has risen. He has risen. He has left the grave empty and wanting, and in his rising he displayed, he proved his power over sin and death. He has shown his ability to keep his word and to keep his promises. The weight of our sin could not keep him in the grave. He overpowered all of it. He conquered all of it. The darkness of our sin was no match for the light of Christ. Not that we are empowered or encouraged to sin, but that our sin would not have power over us. And so because of today, because of what we celebrate with remembrance today, we can have hope in our darkness. When we sin, when we spiral in our failures, when we feel that we are in our darkest hour, we can remember the words given to us in Scripture. This is where we can turn. This is where our hope lies. Not in the distractions of the world, but in an empty tomb. And so we no longer need to seek the living among the dead. No longer does our sin and shame have power over us, for Christ has defeated both of them on the cross. No longer do we need to drown our embarrassment and guilt with opiates, with slander, with lies and cover-ups. We can bring it all to Jesus. We can lay it all at the cross, for he is intimately aware of all of our failings. You see, he has paid for each one with his blood that he willingly shed for each one of us. Whether we believe in him or not, he shed it for each one of us. And he has conquered each one of our failings by rising from the dead. And when we confess and believe and ask for forgiveness, it is granted. This is a promise. I'll say it again. This is where our hope lies. It lies in an empty tomb. Let us remember passages like Bill read. Romans 8, 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. And church, let us rest in these next verses. When you are struggling in your darkness, when you feel unloved and unlovable, when you hate others, when you hate yourself, when you feel weak, when you feel alone, when you feel overwhelmed, when you feel discouraged, remember these verses. Know in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What wonderful words of promise for each of us. In our darkest hour, we look for a hero. We look for someone to tell us that it's going to be okay. We look for someone to encourage us to lift us up and to help us believe that there will be better days ahead. We look for someone to forgive us, to know all that we have done and to accept us and love us anyways. We look for ways out of our darkest hours. Let us look to Christ. 
Let us remember Christ and all that he has done for us, for the light of Christ expels our darkest hour. As you walk the mountaintops and the valleys, as you go through the joys and hardships of life, remember this day. Remember Easter. Remember that Jesus defeated death, that Jesus conquered all sin, that Jesus walked the road of redemption in your place, that through his death and resurrection, he has reconciled you to the Father, and that through faith in him and only through faith in him, there is a hope for the future, a hope that will not be denied. A hope that is founded on the one who keeps his promises. And when the valleys get deep and the shadows get long and darkness seems to be around every corner, remember the words of your Savior and remember that he will always remember you. For church, he is risen. What a fantastic, gracious, merciful, powerful, and loving God we serve. Amen.